Blog Talk Radio. about cronyism. He's all about 
giving favors to his friends. He's been the recipient of crony benefits for a long time, and he has admitted that. So this is really what you can expect from Donald Trump. And I think these establishment guys are thinking, hey, we can get in on that. This is somebody that we can, quote, work with, we can compromise with. And, you know, the way I put it is Donald Trump, and and it is true, he just says whatever he thinks people want to hear. Trump is an empty vessel. And everybody who is jumping on the bandwagon for Trump right now is somebody who thinks that he's going to be able to fill that empty vessel. That is exactly what he is. <laughs> yeah, and AC uh, uh, Craig and PA is in the chat room here says the establishment hate Trump hates Trump. Oh wait, he's the alternative to Cruz. Forget that. Trump's our guy. <laughs> yeah, and and this is what it really seems to be that it's it's the anybody but Cruz crowd, and the reason is that they know that Cruz is dead set on stopping the gravy train in Washington, and that that is going to be basically the end of all of the fun and games that these guys have been setting up for themselves for years and years and years. And they know that Trump will continue it. I mean, I I really, I think it's that simple. So Donald Trump, empty vessel, they all think they're going to get to fill it. It's going to be really funny because, you know, the, the principle by which that, you know, he's going to choose the winners and losers is not going to be any principle at all. So they're not going to be able to predict whether they're going to be the guy who's going to be able to fill the empty vessel, so to speak. It, it, if if it really does happen, if we have a Donald Trump presidency, I have no clue in what direction he's going to go because we don't know who's going to be the one to get the favors from him. That's what it's going to be all about. Yeah, uh, AC Craig says, establishment is so establishment, it's sickening. <sighs> yeah, state defiance is juxtaposing Obama's slogan with Trump's slogan, make America great again versus hope and change. And yeah, they're indistinguishable. Um, You know, make America great again. uh, You know, again, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And we've talked about hope before. Hope is just a little bit better than despair. It's just an empty emotion unless you've got some actual content to it. So um, as you'll see from the program notes, I'm continuing with the uh, support of Ted Cruz. So, yeah, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. Feel free to call in and talk about any of the stories that we have today. Give me your opinion. If you disagree, if you're a supporter of Trump, call in. Have a debate with me. This sounds like fun. 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. So go check that out. Uh, Some people have asked here and there about health-wise how I'm doing. I'll give you the brief update. I hope you're not getting too bored. Um, I'm still on antibiotics, not sure whether they are curing my little kidney infection that I was diagnosed with a couple weeks ago. And then, aside from that, I still have a little bit of the kind of pain that I had pre-surgery, so I'm not 100% sure. It's less than it was, though. So, in general, I'm doing pretty well, but I am waiting until I finish this course of antibiotics to see if I'm finally free of the last infection. So that's me. I'm sitting here drinking a cup of buttered coffee, but it is indeed half-calf. I've significantly cut my caffeine consumption through this ordeal. And of course, I think half-calf probably doesn't taste quite as good as my favorite roast, but it's, you know, not too bad. So thank you to those of you who are contributing to the fun there. Definitely enjoying it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's get started. One thing, if you haven't seen, go ahead and retweet me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. 
Donald Trump, the empty vessel that everyone thinks they'll be the one to fill, really. That's, you know, the kind of identification that you'd come out with this week. In terms of the list of establishment people who have decided that they will take Trump over Cruz, a good resource is this article by Eric Erickson over at townhall.com. Thanks to Bosch Faustin for sending it on. Former Senator Bob Dole, you might have seen that in New York Times the other day, uh, that he's going for Trump over Cruz, that Cruz is a disaster. And Dole, in 1980, was also trying to stop Ronald Reagan. They say at at the time, in 1980, Dole declared Reagan would be deeply destructive to the Republican Party. When no one rallied to Dole, he called for former President Gerald Ford to get into the primary to stop Reagan. But Ford did not get in. Reagan did not, of course, destroy the Republican Party, writes Erickson. Reagan, in fact, became the standard bearer for the party. And they say it is worth noting that every Republican nominee since Reagan, with the exception of John McCain in 2008, actively opposed Reagan in 1980. And then here's Bob Dole back again, and he's saying that Ted Cruz is too divisive. And Dole, who has, I guess, endorsed uh, Jeb Bush, but he said he would prefer Donald Trump to Ted Cruz. So he's on that bandwagon there. Uh, former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott also chimed in. He would support Trump over Cruz, right? Trump, the supposed most extreme anti-establishment candidate, right? Because the reason that Cruz can't be an anti-establishment candidate is because he happens to be a senator, right? So Trump is supposed to be the one, but here's all these establishment politicians coming on. According to Lott, Cruz disrupted the decorum of the Senate and was not a nice guy to work with. Lots of criticisms, of course, echo those of Trump. Trump thinks that Ted Cruz should not have called Mitch McConnell, the current Senate Majority Leader, a liar. If someone's a liar, you shouldn't say it. It's not nice, right? Trump's core supporters have told the nation that they do not care if Donald Trump offends anyone. You know, they're and and but then everyone else wants to be liked, but it doesn't matter. So now they're going to attack Ted Cruz for being unlikable, and. The very Trump supporters, writes Erickson, who love that Trump offends the politically correct, now think it's a reason to vote against Ted Cruz. The Iowa governor has also declared that Cruz must be defeated at all costs. And of course, uh, Terry Branston, the Iowa governor, his son, writes Erickson, is an ethanol lobbyist. Again, crony. Think crony, crony, crony. Cronies are scared of Ted Cruz. And these cronies in the establishment, they would prefer Trump over Cruz because they think they at least have a chance. And that's exactly what Erickson writes here. They say uh, they see Donald Trump as more likely to preserve their access to power and status quo. It is unbelievable. Who would have thought this? I don't know. But I would assume that if there's cognition going on in Donald Trump supporters who consider themselves supporting him because it's anti-establishment, that all of these establishment guys coming behind Trump would give them pause, right? That they would at least start worrying about this. Now, people in New Hampshire aren't swayed by Trump. They say there's a GOP majority in New Hampshire that pipes up and says, we are not for Donald Trump. This is courtesy of New York Times today. Uh, Brookline, New Hampshire, Jean Cleveland, a retired teacher, pursed her lips sourly at the mention of his name and tried to summarize her distaste in diplomatic terms. 
Quote, I think she's, er excuse me, I think he's arrogant, she said. I think he's rude. I think, and she's trying to get the right word. She says, let's just say, I don't like the way he represents us as a country, end quote. And to avoid any confusion, she puts it plainly, I don't like Donald Trump. In this, the 70-year-old from Hollis, New Hampshire, has ample, baffled, and agonized company in, the, in New Hampshire as the presidential primary enters its final frenzied weeks. Donald Trump is remaining atop poll after poll of the state's Republican electorate, or is he? So deep is the dislike for him in some quarters that people like Mrs. Cleveland's husband, Doug, question the accuracy of the polls that so consistently identify Mr. Trump as leading the field with around 32%. Quote, I've never met a single one of them, Mr. Cleveland said about those said to be backing Mr. Trump. Where are all these Trump supporters? Everyone we know is supporting somebody else. It'd be interesting if Trump is somehow manipulating the polls everywhere, right? And that we're going to later get, you know, find this out. Here in the chat room, we've got, yeah, Trump said that Cruz is, quote, worse than Hillary when you think about it. Yeah, we've definitely got that story. Um, <laughs> state defiance. I think the establishment is worried that if Cruz gets in, we're going to find out the, about the aliens in Area 51. We'll have to have more of a discussion about that. Uh, Tony Donatio says, I don't want a reform president to be a, quote, nice guy. I'm not sure that's even possible. No, exactly. I mean, who has a track record of actually going up against the establishment? Yeah. Well, people are talking about who's going to be a good VP, could Cruz run with Johnson is the question. I'm not sure. Pig Van is saying that Trump would make someone like Kasich VP. Yeah, of course. And I don't know if you just saw uh, there was a headline that the Kasich expansion, the Medicaid expansion in his state cost $6 billion. So if you want that sort of thing to continue, just go ahead and support Kasich. So the 68%, the significant majority of Republican voters who are immune to Mr. Trump's charms, writes Erickson. No, this is not Erickson. This is the New York Times. Um, they say, you know, they're, they're immune to it. For months, great quantities of ink, political science, brain power, and polling resources have been expended trying to dissect, if not exactly diagnose, the Trump phenomenon, precisely who supports him and why. Far less energy has been devoted to sounding out a much larger segment of the electorate, those who reject him. I would just say the people who are rejecting him are at least thinking to some extent. Limbaugh's been talking about Trump chalking it up to nationalism and populism, neither of which are good motives for supporting political candidates or neither of which are good jump on the bandwagon for any purpose at all. But yeah, so in New Hampshire, the majority says that we're not for Trump and in fact, Many people are wondering, where are all these Trump supporters? I do see some Trump supporters on Twitter. Some Trump supporters are following me on Twitter. I think I even follow some people who have been tweeting in favor of Trump. They haven't been doing it obnoxiously to me, so I haven't unfollowed them. But when they start you know, basically attacking uh, my values in an unfair way, I, I certainly will unfollow them. Um, I have done that actually to a couple of people, people who have been attacking Cruz in a way that I think is unjustified and unfair. I will unfollow, definitely. Um, do I think Ted Cruz is perfect? No. Do I think he's the best in the context? Yes. So the good news is there are a number of longtime leaders of a conservative movement who have united in support of 
Ted Cruz. Uh, these are 90 members of the Young Americans for Freedom Alliance, and they're uniting around the presidential campaign of Senator Ted Cruz. One is 82-year-old uh, Richard Vigari. He's the pioneer in direct mail fundraising. And he says, quote, Ted Cruz is the best conservative candidate since Ronald Reagan. He says, he's what we've waited for ever since Reagan. He checks all our boxes. He's everything we wanted in a candidate. He unites the party in a way that no other candidate can. Well, I haven't seen that uh, unison yet because we don't have the establishment people thinking that they can actually take Cruz. They want Trump over Cruz, but it'd be nice if, if you really could. In in terms of what the party is supposed to stand for, that should be Cruz. But the establishment is showing more than ever that they don't stand for what their party is supposed to stand for, which is smaller government, a government that spends less and does, does less. Uh, 76-year-old Morton Blackwell, he was the founder of the Leadership Institute Longtime Republican National Committeeman from Virginia endorsed Cruz last week, saying he, uh, quote, has consistently demonstrated his deep commitment to conservative principles. Also, Brent Bozell III, the founder of Media Research Center, says that, um, quote, it's clear cut that you are either with the establishment or you are with Ted Cruz. That is the new reality. Uh, I guess his father, uh, Brent Bozell Jr., was the ghostwriter for Barry Goldwater. So there is some good conservative pedigree in there. <sighs> Bozell says, quote, it is the Republican Party that has disdain for conservatives. Uh, and continuing from Bozell, quote, Ted Cruz has made virtually all of them in the Republican establishment feel uncomfortable. The sin he commits is honoring his promise, Bozell says, what they, the GOP establishment, want is unanimity in dishonesty, he notes. And he says, that's why I urged Ted Cruz to run for president. I've urged him since about five minutes after he was elected to the Senate in 2012, Bozell explains. <sighs> that is amazing. Um, so here we are. We've got some very uh, hard hitters. I understand that on Saturday, Glenn Beck intends to endorse Ted Cruz as well, which you know, clearly outweighs in terms of any seriousness and you know, kind of just attention that you should give to it. The Sarah Palin endorsement of Trump, I mean, that's a complete joke. So it's good to see someone as serious a thinker as Glenn Beck, even though sometimes we think he's confused about some things, that's fine. Um, he takes his work very seriously. He takes a very scholarly, academic approach to what he's doing uh, to the you know the best that he can. He does a lot of good work, and there he is. I think he's going to endorse Ted Cruz. So I think that is hopefully going to help as well. Uh, so what would what would that Donald Trump presidency look like? Ben Shapiro sums it up very well over at his uh, blog at the Daily Wire. He says there are many reasons to vote for Donald Trump. He's an expert at hard-hitting quips. He's willing to throw the kitchen sink at anybody who crosses him. He has a blue-collar appeal and an unlimited expense account. But he says there's one giant reason not to vote for Donald Trump. He has no central guiding values other than his own glorification. Translation, empty vessel. He says, practically speaking, though, here is the Donald Trump doctrine for the Donald Trump presidency in the United States of Trumpia, as he calls it. 
Now I have the spinning rainbow of, of death accompanying me while I'm trying to scroll through this article. Thank you, spinning rainbow of death, due to ads. Oh, gosh, that's that's very frustrating. I'm not able to scroll down. He, es- he essentially says, and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to scroll down while I'm reading this again, but he says that those people who has have crossed Donald Trump are not going to get the good stuff. They're going to be shut out. The friends of Donald Trump are going to get all the goodies. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't make any mistakes, and there's one more. There's four actual things that he says, but I think I'm going to have to restart my browser because it is acting up on me. Um, I do wish that Apple would update its Safari browser because it's that browser that I've been having trouble with lately. Firefox is performing a lot better in my experience. Okay, let me see if I can scroll this now. Yeah, enemies of Trump must be punished. That's what that happens to them. If you are a friend, you are going to be rewarded. Uh, it talks about Al Sharpton in particular in here. Quote from December 2014, I know Sharpton very well, and I've always gotten along with him, to be honest with you. There are those who say Sharpton likes Trump a lot. Um, so he could talk about himself in the third person. Bill O'Reilly this week. Uh, here's Trump on Bill Clinton. I play golf with him, and I like him. I mean, what's not to like? Trump on Vladimir Putin. He's running his country, and at least he's a leader, unlike what we have in this country. I think our country does plenty of killing also, Joe, you know. Trump Trump gauges quality by success. Some people have success by methods that have nothing to do with the quality of what they offer, but Trump doesn't care. It's just success. Um, So his opinion polls, whatever's behind them, that's what he's touting. It really doesn't matter if there's any quality behind it. And yes, Trump never makes any mistakes. If there is a mistake, he always blames it on somebody else. And there's a list of, you know, the two Corinthians and stuff, the mistakes that he's made, how he's blamed it on other people. Uh, Tony in the chat room says, did I see the uh, National Review anti-Trump issue that was published today? There's 20 anti-Trump essays, including names like Thomas Sowell and Andy McCarthy. That is excellent. And I think that maybe Megyn Kelly was publicizing this. I know that Trump has gone on the rampage against National Review because of pieces there, but I didn't realize that there were so many being collected in one issue. That's really good. I mean, I hope it has some effect if, if people will actually read and they'll actually think about it. But kudos to Ben Shapiro as well for you know, identifying exactly what you're in for with the, um, you know, the Trump presidency. This is great. He describes Trump as a thin-skinned egotist, right? He doesn't say egoist, right? We would say an egoist is a good person, but egotist who identifies his own success with the success of the country. Uh, Obama treats attacks on him as attacks on the United States. He treats personal affronts as national slights. Trump would be the same way. Trump he says, Shapiro says, is less ideological than Obama. Obama sees every conservative as an enemy, while Trump doesn't discriminate based on any kind of baseline ideology. This is great. (sighs) Anyway, yeah, he says he could be effective if he happens to stumble on the right enemies. That's it. It's going to be the luck of the draw. Empty vessel, everybody thinks they're going to be the one to fill it. That's the gamble that they're taking when they endorse or support Trump in any way. Yeah, Tony says that Megyn Kelly did have 
this issue on last night. Yeah, I had heard about that. Uh, um, now, SFMO Mo in the chat room says, what's funny here is that Hillary's latest email server news got buried this week. Well, it didn't get buried by me. Again, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. I actually have a link to that story. We are going to talk about it as well. I do have a couple people who are here on the line. If you call in and you do want to talk, also press the little one. They give you a menu and say press one if you want to speak to the host. Number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Another hint of what the Trump presidency would look like. There was a little bit of uh, Trump versus Apple news this week. Gizmodo reports in their headline, Trump says he will force Apple to manufacture in the U.S. even though that makes absolutely no sense. And why does it make no sense? It makes no sense in terms of basic economic principles of which Trump doesn't care one iota because for him it's all about making deals one at the expense of others. GOP candidate and angry sweet potato. <laughs> Who is this author? Angry sweet potato. Kate Nibs over at Gizmodo. GOP candidate and angry sweet potato Donald Trump claims he'll be able to change Apple's entire manufacturing system if he is elected president. She says, I'll give Trump this. He's great at shouting impossible nonsense. Trump's remarks on outsourcing at Liberty University today were especially bizarre and unanchored to morality. Excuse me, morality. Morality, too, but reality is what she said. First, in the span of a few sentences, he insisted he'll impose a 35% tax on businesses producing goods overseas while claiming to support free trade. At the end of this ramble, his rambling, decidedly non-MLK-themed speech, he said this, quote, we're going to get Apple to build their damn computers and things in this country instead of other countries, end quote. Now, Apple does build Mac Pro in Austin. As for other computers and devices, most of the manufacturing and supplying happens in Asia. Foxconn is in China, and this is an iPhone production hotbed, she writes. Lots of other tech companies also outsource to Foxconn, including Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. All in all, American Apple sure sounds nice, create jobs, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also an empty applause line, she writes. The U.S. president does not have the power to ban a company from outsourcing, nor does the president have the power to completely overhaul the global economy. <sighs> what I guess is that if Trump becomes president, given the existing powers that the commander-in-chief has right now and the way that Obama's expanded them, he'll figure out some way to put pressure on Apple to get Apple to move some manufacturing here in the United States. Again, enemies of Trump must be punished. Friends of Trump must be rewarded. Some friend of Trump wants to make Trump or wants to have Trump move Apple here to United States. So that's just another peek on what a Donald Trump presidency would look like. Uh, that's the way this week he's decided he's going to fill the empty vessels by making promises about making Apple manufacture here. I'm going to go ahead and grab a call. I've got one on the line. Hello, who's this? Hello, Hello? you're on the air. Hello? Yes, who's this? Hey. Uh, yeah, I just have a quick comment to make. Who? Who is this, please? It's Robert. Robert. Okay, welcome to the show, Robert. Yes. There's no way Trump is not going to be the nominee. 
because I think for two things that have been happening for the last 10, 15, 20 years is the Republican Party has had this issue with native, nativism, the anti-immigrant thing, and uh, populism pushed by the pushed by the same magazine NRO. Now they're trying to say we don't we are we are against Trump. That's that's not true. They they they, they water the ground. They continue. So you yeah. So, you, so you're saying you're saying that they're they're kind of hypocritical because they're one of the ones that have stirred up the anti-immigrant sentiment yeah. that is leading to support Trump. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. And the populist uh, 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 theme they have with uh, with with the writers down there, Ross Tuchada, the uh, New York Times too. So these are they, they are it's it's it, it's useless at this time. It's too it's it's too late. It's too little, too late. There's no way this man is not going to be the nominee. You don't, you don't it's, think it's, that it's if not people, happen. you don't think that if people succeed at explaining how a Trump presidency is going to be a crony presidency, and cronyism is really the big thing I think that most of the voters are upset about right now. If we show no, that Trump Trump is the epitome of cronyism, you don't think that's going to have any effect? Not, not true, because the whole thing that's driving this campaign is the anti-immigrant theme. I'm telling you, it is not going to stop. It is not going to stop. The conservative talk radio have been doing it for years. You have the print media have been doing it for years. The internet have the conservative websites have been doing it for years. Listen just to listen to Laura Ingram or Mark Levine or Rush Limbaugh or any or any conservative talk radio. You 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 see that this. This phenomenon they've created is has given back to Trump, and Trump has just has ridden the the the, 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 the theme all the way, and he's not going to stop. He's not, nothing is going to stop him. This is and, this is and, stupid. And, trying to stop a person and, they gave back to. Yeah. Now, do you what do you predict with the uh, Trump presidency if we get? Now, you think he's going to be the nominee? If, he's, if not he's, going the nominee be a, he's not going to be president. He's no way he's going to be. Better. He's not. Okay, going, he's so going you, to be the nominee think, on the think, GOP you side. You think he'll be the nominee and then he's going to be defeated by whoever by manages to survive? By well, I don't by know about Hillary. Hillary. It's it, it is getting pretty serious about Hillary now. It's it's no. Uh, she's not going to be. She's there's no way they are going to prosecute that woman. There's just no way. No way. Okay. Okay. It's not going to happen. Well, I, I, I'm a little more optimistic about getting Hillary out of there than you. So maybe if Hillary's out of there, then we might see no Trump way. win. Okay. You don't There's think no that? way the Democrats are going to sacrifice a, got a good shot at retaining power. There's no way that's going to happen. Okay. Okay. Well, what we'll do then, Robert, so we've got you on the record. Um, Trump's going to be the nominee, and... Hillary is going to be the nominee for the Democrats and is going to beat Trump. Those are your predictions, right? So yeah, what, then America what will go through eight years of terror. I mean, it, it sounds horrible to me, of course. I agree. So what yeah. we should do is have you call in the show uh, after the election. and let's Absolutely, let's I will right. do that. Okay. Anything else before I let you go? Uh, yeah. Don't buy into the NRO story that they're totally against Trump. They they gave bats to these guys. Okay. There's a lot of blame to go around. It's not just NRO. It's talk radio too. It's print media too, and it's it's it, it's uh, it's the guys on the conservative websites that are bring, you know, beating the drum for for populism and nativism. So it's it's too late right now. It's too late. Right. Okay. Well, thanks for your call, Robert, and we well, will hear from you back again. In November, I assume, because then we can, uh, you know, compare notes in terms of the prediction here. Uh, 
Tim in the chat room says that if Trump is the nominee, that he's going to throw the election, whereas I think Ed says that if Trump is nominated, that he's going to crush Hillary in the general election. I'd be interested to think uh, to you know hear what Ed thinks about whether Hillary's going to be the nominee, whether she's going to survive that long. I'm starting to question it based on the stories that are coming out about her this week. Um, Mo in the chat room says, I'm not sure that I agree that Trump's stance on immigration is why he's doing well. <laughs> Tim, he characterizes a Trump administration as a pull peddler's paradise. Yes, yes, that is perfect. That would be exactly what it is, a pull peddler's paradise. And that's why all of these establishment guys are getting behind Trump. They want to fill that empty vessel with what they want. Um, so what do we do? I mean, I guess we can go out there and we can try to counter some of the anti-immigrant uh, you know, sentiment out there. If, if you are wanting to curb immigration at this point in time, you may as well get behind Ted Cruz, though, because Ted Cruz also has restrictive immigration policy on his agenda, certainly for the sake of security. Uh, he wants to pause immigration from various countries while we try to figure out you know, how we can keep members of ISIS and other people who want to do us harm from coming into the chat room here. Uh, State defiance in the chat room. Yay, he has he has the prediction that I want to come true. Cruz will be the GOP nominee and win the election. Again, do I agree with every single thing that Cruz says? No. Do I agree with Cruz's latest proposal on immigration to uh, put restrictions on companies' ability to bring in high tech people in you know and what they have to pay them and all these kind of things that he's been proposing? Recently, no, I'm not in favor of those types of restrictions. I am in favor of restrictions on immigration, though, uh, based on the country that people are from to the extent that they pose a security threat. I'm also for maybe pausing immigration until we get rid of the, uh, you know, the welfare benefits for immigrants. Um, that's something that needs to be under control. We need to be assured of that so that people who come to this country are productive. But otherwise. I'm for, you know, pretty much open immigration if it's not for security. And as long as we're not giving them free stuff, right? I think in Germany, they're having big problems now because of their very, very open immigration stance. Uh, you know, not just from the standpoint of security. We saw that, you know, a bunch of rapes happen around New Year's Eve of, of a lot of women. I mean, dozens and dozens of women in Germany raped in some sort of coordinated, planned I guess attack, you would call it. Um, usually don't word. I guess attack would be the word. I mean, it's it's insane. This is nothing that you would ever imagine having it happening in a civilized country in the 21st century. But they had, you know, dozens of rapes from these immigrant men in Germany. So the physical, but also the financial, the financial burden of these immigrants has been huge. And apparently it's destroying the German economy. We don't want the same thing to happen here. Pig fan in the chat room says that Cruz is better on, I assume, immigration than Trump. Trump said he would let people back in, and he blamed Romney's defeat in 2012 on his tough immigration stance. It's very interesting because, as far as I know, Ann Coulter is behind Trump because of the immigration issue. Uh, Rob is saying that he also read a yucky story about a public bath in Germany. Okay, well, I'm sure there's all kinds of horribleness going on, and I 
gather that Germany is rethinking its policy with respect to immigration, but particularly migrant immigration. You cannot just let people in unfiltered and give them free stuff and expect to have a good result. What kind of people will you be attracting? That's that's really the question. So what about other politicians behind, you know, beside the Trump crews? I am optimistic that Cruz can beat out Trump. I actually do wonder, as they were kind of speculating in that New York Times article, whether the people who are showing up as supporters in these Trump polls actually exist, that there is this vast majority for Trump, because I don't know where they are. There are some people, like I say, a few people here and there, very vocal on Twitter about this, but I cannot imagine that a majority do. But maybe I just don't have a, a sense, you know, a good finger on the pulse, so to speak, of Americans. Elsewhere in politics this week, Marco Rubio has been credited at the National Review with giving an inspiring, honest answer to an atheist challenge. It was interesting because the earlier headline for this piece was, Marco Rubio responds to an atheist with civility and truth. But, of course, the answer had to do with faith so it's much better to characterize the answer as honest versus truthful, right? Because you're talking about religion. So, yeah. Anyway, um, it turns out that an atheist said to Rubio, how are you going to protect our rights? You're talking about, you know, religious freedom. And Rubio went out on a limb that he should never have gone out on and said that atheists can't really actually understand America and that if you don't believe that rights come from a creator, namely God, then where do rights come from? Rights can't come from anywhere except for a creator. And I believe the Objective Standard had put out a response to this. Uh, there are, I think, a couple people out there that have given a nice response and described Ayn Rand's conception of rights, which is based on the nature of man. There are plenty of people who can say that, well, the nature of man is due to the creator, but we as atheists will look at the nature of man as the primary. It's the thing that we know that we can observe that's here in front of us, right? And it is, you know, not necessarily easy. I mean, it was an integration that, that Rand performed. But, you know, um, you look at the nature of man and you can realize that rights are the conditions necessary for man's life in this world, that the rights to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness are all necessary for human beings to live as human beings on this planet, namely to use their reason to alter their environments to produce values. Those of you who are listening from the East Coast right now, if you are, you might be kind of sheltered in place listening to us here on Blog Talk Radio. You're benefiting right now from human ingenuity, from the use of reason to put fossil fuels to work, keeping you warm, you know, to build those structures around you, those insulated structures that are keeping you safe and warm from the elements right now. Uh, those are the, you know, it's human reason that brought all of the food that you picked up at your grocery store that is also designed and, and invented the refrigerator that you're using to store all that food and the stove that you're going to use and brings you the gas that you're going to use with that stove to cook the food later. Everything that is going to make you ride out this storm in comfort and maybe be entertained as well, all a product of human reason. And for that reason to operate, it needs to be left free. 
Um, to the extent that reason is not free, that's the extent to which innovation and the ability to extend and improve the quality of our lives is is being diminished. So that's the answer to Marco Rubio saying that we have no idea of rights. In fact, I would say that if you're basing it on human nature and you have this deep understanding of how human reason requires um, freedom and that how that reason actually uh, supports and improves our lives, that that's even a better understanding of rights than you could get from religion because then it's just faith. You just say, well, God decreed that we should have rights and doesn't necessarily give a reason behind it. Um, but that's what Rubio is up to. Open mouth, insert foot, as far as I'm concerned. You know, why would you insult a whole potential segment of support that you could have by saying that they can't understand America because they don't have a basis for rights when anybody who, you know, has read a little bit out there and has seen Ayn Rand knows that she has an answer to that challenge and that it's a respectable answer and it's one that you could try to also sign on to and say, okay, well, it's based on man's nature, but, you know, try to say that man's nature is due to a creator if, if you want to. Uh, there's no evidence for that. But why deny that? Why alienate a whole potential segment of the population? I mean, it's the same kind of thing that, you know, when Cruz was talking about how only a, a person who began his day on his knees, you know, prayed, in other words, should be commander in chief. I found that insulting and it's just unnecessary. But this is, you know, that's just a very limited thing, you know, commander in chief, sending people off to die. Somehow you're not going to appreciate that if you're. Uh, an atheist, right? But obviously that's false. But here he's saying you don't even understand rights. You can't understand rights at all if you're an atheist. That's just insulting. Now Rob says, accepting that human nature is the source of rights means accepting that man can be more than just a sinner. And Sally says it means you have free will, which is really scary. Um, I know that they think they believe they have free will as well. And, and, and if you actually watch that speech, he goes on to talk about how the most important thing to him is what's going to happen to him in the afterlife and the beyond. You know, he's talking about spending eternity with his creator and how that is the most important thing to him. So, uh, yeah, Rob says, religionists don't want to look at the nature of man because man is supposed to be a sinner. Yes. Original sin. Pig fan talking about the whole German immigration thing. There is a viral video out there, a 16-year-old German girl who talks about how terrified she is and how the government is making people unsafe. Yeah, unfortunately, their government have def you know, has defaulted on its number one job which is protecting the physical security of citizens. And they've defaulted or, you know, destroyed the economy in the meantime. So why don't we turn a little bit and look at the Democrat side of the roster and let's look at some of the news that is plaguing Hillary this week. Um, what I've got is a story from Glenn Jameson. Thanks, Glenn, for putting that on Facebook Krauthammer's uh, take, this is from the corner again, National Review. I've got so much from National Review this week. Krauthammer's take, did Hillary email scandal, um, or not did, Hillary's email scandal is now, quote, worse than what Snowden did. 
I don't know how I juxtaposed the did in there. So Hillary email scandal is now, quote, worse than what Snowden did. And we know that Krauthammer is no fan of Edward Snowden, right? So there's a new report out this week. And as some people say, it's been sort of buried in this Trump versus Ted Cruz banter and Sarah Palin endorsing and all this stuff. This is much more important. A new report that Hillary, Hillary Clinton's personal server contained information about, quote, special access programs, end quote, makes her handling of sensitive material, quote, worse than what Snowden did, Charles Krauthammer said. And this is some more quotes from Krauthammer. What people have to understand is that there is nothing higher, more secret than an SAP, special access program, Krauthammer said on Tuesday's special report. Again, continuing from Krauthammer, from some people I have talked to, this is worse than what Snowden did because he didn't have access to SAP, special access programs. Continuing, the reason it's so sensitive is if it's compromised, people die, he said. Quote, it also means that operations that have been embedded for years and years get destroyed and cannot be reconstituted. This is very serious, unquote. Krauthammer says that this update makes it unlikely that the Department of Justice will, quote, wave it away. And it says, Petraeus, as was mentioned earlier, he pled guilty because precisely this kind of information he shared. And I don't see, given the fact that he is the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community who is writing this officially to the Intelligence Committee heads in Congress, that there is any way to contradict this. It is not a news story. This is an investigative story, says Krauthammer. And he says, and now it's in the hands of the FBI. It's hard to imagine that the Department of Justice will ignore this or wave it away, end quote, from Krauthammer. Now, if you think about this in addition to a story that was out there a few weeks ago, I don't have the headline here uh, or the link here, but I, I'd heard about it, that there's a number of people in FBI who were already set to put some sort of a defection together if the FBI did not end up prosecuting or, you know, giving materials and, and, you know, Department of Justice didn't prosecute Hillary Clinton. Uh, there's a lot of people who are already upset there. Imagine with this additional news that what she has been Snowden and then they're not going to do anything. They're going to let Hillary be the nominee. So again, if Ed, if you wanted to call in, I know you're back East, maybe uh, got limited resources going there. Uh, I don't, I'm hoping you still have power that you're not in that situation yet. But if you want to call in and give me your prediction as to whether this is going to be the thing that's finally going to kill Hillary Clinton's campaign, I would love to hear it. Uh, 760-888-5817. Again, press 1 if you do call in. But I'm optimistic that this would be the thing to sink Hillary, to put her in the orange jumpsuit, as many people have depicted out there. Uh, Bosch Faustin has been one of those that has done that. So I'd, I'd definitely like to see it. Uh, Joel in the chat room here says, my theory is that Obama and his inner circle knew this would be a problem for Hillary, held Biden back from running so he could ride in on a white horse to save the party without exposing himself to the rigors of an actual campaign. Yeah, and that's a theory that I've heard as well, and I think it may actually be true. And and it makes sense that Obama's the one who controls the trigger on, you know, having this turn into a prosecution versus just an investigation. Tim says he saw that uh, Krauthammer actually say that on Fox News. That's good. 
How many people are going to go down with Hillary? Who knows? That would be interesting. Yeah, uh, Joel says this would allow Obama to get his third term, which I'm sure he desperately wants. <sighs> that would also be a disaster. That would probably be even be worse than a Hillary Clinton presidency, I assume. Because what would Biden be? Biden is an empty vessel, and the one to fill it would be Obama. This is something we know. At least with Trump, it'd be some kind of wild card. But I do wonder, if, if it was Trump versus Biden... Who would win? If it was Cruz versus Biden, who would win? <laughs> State defiance is actually rubbing his hands eagerly at the prospect of a Joe Biden candidacy. He says, oh, I can't wait to see Uncle Lunchbox Joe to become a candidate. I think it would be really funny. But, you know, if it, if it was Trump versus Biden in the debates, oh, my God, the outtakes. I mean, that would just be hysterical because neither of them has very much to say. Oh no! I mean, it, it, I wouldn't. That would be the lowest of American politics ever to see Joe Biden versus Donald Trump in debates. I I don't know what alcohol I would have to start drinking to survive that. I would I would have to start drunk tweeting debates if that happened. I don't know. Uh, Mo questions whether Biden can sweep in and beat Sanders at this point. I think so. I think so. <laughs> State Defiance adds, anybody notice that all of the Democratic candidates are old, rich, white people? Yes. Motive Power says, hello, Canada. Yeah, Canada or elsewhere in the world. That's where you think we would go. Trump versus Sanders would be just as bad, says Mo. But, I mean, Trump versus Biden. It would be like watching SNL, you know. The, the, it, it would be funnier than any SNL skit that they could actually try to write for them. It would be crazy. So I, it better not. Joel says that the best thing for the country would be a Sanders-Cruz race because you'd have two intransigent, intransigent ideologues. And I agree, that would be great to see the actual juxtaposition of two, you know, fairly consistent extremists in uh, this view. I, w I would like to, to see that. But I also, before Sanders versus Cruz debates happened, I would really like to talk to Cruz and counsel him not, not, not to invoke the egalitarian Rawls because he has sometimes in the past invoked Rawls and I think that that would sink him. Not that Sanders would really be intellectual enough to capitalize on it, but I would like to see Cruz be more consistent and reject Rawls if he's going to go ahead and say he wants to abolish the IRS and get rid of Obamacare and all those things, because those are all egalitarian measures. <laughs> State defiance says Cruz is going to cream anyone in a debate. Yeah, I think he will, but we'd like to see him armed to the teeth, and I think he just needs to brush up a little bit on his Rawls versus Rand. Sanders-Cruz might help to focus Cruz. Yeah, that would be nice, too. And Joel says, I would love to see the young Sanders supporters be completely disenfranchised by watching their guy destroy by the Democrat Party machine. Yeah, there's that too. Sometimes it's just hard to decide what you want the most. Taking a sip of butter coffee here as uh, we're about to go on. So I think I'm going to shift a little bit from politics to news 
And again, New York Times, kudos to them for reporting some of this stuff. I do draw on New York Times a lot. Thanks again to those of you who support the show because I use it in part to fund my electronic subscription to New York Times. Uh, and it, I have found it helpful, and I have found some of their reporting surprisingly good just in terms of the content that they've chosen to uh, to feature. So on front page today as I go to the NewYorkTimes.com, Saudi Arabia's top cleric forbids chess. Forbids chess, but players maneuver. So this is Saudi Arabia, again, our ally. You know, the ones who are supposed to be the better Muslims, right? The top cleric in Saudi Arabia is given this fatwa against chess, not against Muhammad cartoons. Like everybody thinks, you know, it's only really offensive things that they have these fatwas against, but no, forbidding chess. You can't even play chess. Now, I don't know the full history of chess, but doesn't chess have some sort of history in the Arab world? Maybe somebody who is a chess player can call in and let me know a little bit more about the game, 760-888-5817. But I, I, know that, I think there's a history of backgammon in the Arab world. So maybe it's backgammon that I'm thinking of. But chess, I thought, also did have some history there. But nonetheless, Saudi Arabia's top cleric has declared the playing of chess, quote, forbidden calling it a waste of time and money that creates hatred between players. Now, when I posted this story earlier today, someone on Facebook came back and said, I bet he lost a game and he got really mad. <laughs> Maybe. It says, in a fatwa, a religious decree issued in response to a question from a caller to a Saudi television show, the Grand Mufti Sheikh Abdulaziz Al-Sheikh, I think that's how you pronounce it, said that the game was, quote, the work of Satan, like alcohol and gambling, despite its long history in the Middle East. Yes, so apparently it is. Chess is played across the Arab world. You think, right? You think, you know, and it's that whole thing, you know, first they came for Jews and whatever. You know, first they came for the Muhammad cartoons, but I said nothing, you know, because I don't care. I don't draw Muhammad cartoons. And, you know, then they came for... Uh, rock music, but it's okay because I don't like rock music either. And they, you know, they came for abortion, but I don't care because I'm not for. So they're coming for chess. I'm sure there are plenty of so-called moderate Muslims over there who love and play chess, and they did not think that their religious leaders would come after the game that they love. Nonetheless, here they did it. There is a Saudi Chess Association. A member of that association took to Twitter on Thursday to defend the game. Do you predict that there's going to be some sort of punishment for this guy in the future going out on Twitter to defend a game against the leading cleric in Saudi Arabia? He says that this game, chess, he says it had nothing to do with gambling. The association had held 70 events in the kingdom. He posted photos of Saudi players at the group's events, including one that showed members of the group posing with a prince from the United Arab Emirates. So he's trying to, I guess, get some crony support against the fatwa of the leading cleric. And we'll have to see how this is going to play out. There's a couple of the tweets actually um, you know, reproduced in the New York Times story. I didn't know that the New York Times actually embedded tweets in their news stories, but they did. They say it was unclear when the fatwa by the Grand Mufti was issued, but it appeared to garner attention online in the run-up to a chess tournament scheduled for Friday in Mecca. The Chess Association said it planned to go ahead with the tournament regardless of the fatwa. They say Saudi Arabia follows an austere interpretation of Islam. 
you know, but there are allies, right? Prohibiting socializing between men and women who are not related and banning most forms of music. Though Saudis generally follow such rules in public, many do as they wish in their own homes or when traveling abroad. Isn't it one of the things in New York City that people do? They go out there and they play chess in the public parks and everything. Imagine that you're in New York City, you're out there, beautiful spring day that's going to happen. I know right now you don't believe it, but it's going to happen. You're going to have beautiful spring days. Go out there, sit in the parks, play chess. And some crazed person who takes this fatwa seriously is going to come and assault you, maybe with only words if you're lucky, but maybe physically, because you're playing chess. (sighs) Pig fan in the chat room is uh, making some jokes based on rules of chess that I'm not completely familiar with, so I'm going to have to take his word for it. And Chessy says, not only can the queen leave her place uncovered, but she has more moves than any of the other other male chess pieces, which is harem. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is this is crazy. So yeah, these are our allies, the Saudis. This is very very interesting. Yeah. So then they're saying no, you know, to dispel any notion that chess is anti-Islamic. The, uh, you know, again, this guy who's the head of the association in Saudi Arabia posted an image of a chess set with crescent moons atop the kings. They say, as you see, the king doesn't carry the cross. It's got the crescent moon and says, so somehow that's supposed to make it okay. But don't they realize that religion is just all based on appeals to emotion and authority? And so this guy can, this cleric can declare it and then suddenly things might change really quickly for the chess association in Saudi Arabia. So we will want to follow this story and see what happens. But bravo um, to Musa bin Taili, I guess is how, Taili, I don't know how I would pronounce it exactly. You can go and check it out. But kudos to him for standing up against this and in favor of the game of chess, which is a good intellectual harmless game with with a grand tradition. The Saudis are so nice to women, says A.C. Craig in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that too, of course. I don't know. I can't. Re- I, you can never keep track. Are women even allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia right now? I remember that they weren't, and then maybe they were, but I can't remember now if they are. Yeah. So what about Iran? Latest little bit of news about Iran comes to us from the Hill. The GOP explodes in anger as what the federal government has quietly created for Iran a carve out for visas says furious Republicans assailed the Obama administration Thursday yesterday for making changes to a visa entry program for foreign tourists that they characterized as illegal. Now this is a ambiguous sentence construction here. Um, It's the changes that are illegal. It's not necessarily the tourists that are illegal, so it's the change that Obama made. Imagine Obama made a change to a law, an illegal change to a law. I mean, when does that ever happen, right? Department of Homeland Security on Thursday announced changes to the Easy Entry Visa Waiver Program, which allows citizens from 38 countries, including Australia, France, and Japan, to enter the United States without a visa. 
DHS said its new policy will not prohibit people from the 38 countries from entering the U.S. if they have recently traveled to or are dual citizens of Iran, Iraq, Sudan, and Syria. So it's not just Iran. Iran's in the headline, but there's more. Iran, Iraq, Sudan, and Syria, all of which are, pointed out by the Hill here, considered hotbeds of terrorism. Instead, those people who otherwise would have been eligible to participate in the visa waiver program will uh, will have to, uh, no wait, will not prohibit people from coming in. They have to obtain a, a visa through the State Department. However, the administration is also creating a carve-out solely for Iran. Okay, that's that. Okay, so normally those four, they would have to have a visa, but then, now I'm wondering if I just got disconnected from you guys because something dropped off of the thing and the chat room is all uh, gray. Let me go ahead and refresh my chat room here and see what's going on. If I get you guys back. Technical difficulties. Yeah, okay, so technical difficulties and difficulties reading apparently here too. Okay, so in these countries you would get a visa, but there is a special visa carve-out solely for Iran. Visa waivers are handed out on a case-by-case basis to people who have traveled there for, quote, legitimate business-related purposes following the adoption of the nuclear deal last year. So, they're, oh yeah, now they're saying everything is fine. Excellent, good. Um, so for some reason, my chat room went gray and everything looked weird. I see you guys, and Tony says he can still hear. Okay, great. Thanks for letting me know, everyone. Yeah, so the um, quote from the House Homeland Security Committee Chairman, Mitch McCall from Texas, they say, quote, the Obama administration is blatantly breaking the law, a law the president himself signed, end quote. Uh, there's a joint statement that a couple of them, also Representative Candace Miller from Michigan. Uh, they say, quote, President Obama is again putting his relationship with Iran's supreme leader over the security of Americans, they added. Quote, he cannot rewrite, rewrite, say that 12 times fast, he cannot rewrite the law to appease foreign governments. He should instead pay attention to his own. The visa waiver law passed last year was intended to close what both parties have described as a dangerous loophole that could allow European nationals involved with Islamic State in Iraq and Syria to come to the United States. Anyway, now they're going to use the visa waivers. Uh, John Kerry said that he, this would be used to help encourage businesses to enter Iran following the implementation of the landmark International Nuclear Accord. So not only are we withdrawing sanctions, we are crippling our own security efforts in order to encourage business for Iran. Oh, they're doing knock-knock jokes here in the chat room now. This is really funny. Knock-knock joke. Okay, knock-knock. And then who's there? It's your browser, terrorist, terrorist who? I don't know. I ran. Ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> this is positive change in the chat room, making knock-knock Iran jokes. Um, the best Iran cartoon ever, of course, belongs to Bosch Faustin. If you just Google Bosch Faustin and Iran, you'll come up with one that uses exactly that. I don't know. Iran. Ha, ha. Iran. Check it out. Uh now, what is the answer to all of this? You know, you've got the Saudi Arabians forbidding chess based on the religion of Islam. 
we have uh, you know an administration who is putting us in grave danger from Islamic terrorism with all of its policies, including now this visa carve-out for Iran. Here's an answer that a Danish town is giving. It's not one that I particularly approve of, but I guess since the measure is confined to public institutions, it's within the power that they have there. I don't, I don't think I would do it. There is a Danish town that has made pork mandatory in public institutions in order to aid integration, cultural integration. So public institutions such as schools in this town, they must serve pork. And they're calling it the meatball war, the Nordic country uh, meatball war. Denmark is home to 5.6 million people and around 13 million pigs. That's from Breitbart. Uh, Sales of pork products and live pigs account for more than 5% of the country's exports, and the product is considered integral to the nation's culture by many citizens. However, due to mass Muslim immigration and multicultural zeal, at least 30 of the country's 1,719 daycare institutions have completely banned it or switched to halal. This has led former Prime Minister Hel Thorn, uh, Thorning Schmidt to strongly criticize the nurseries that drop the pork from their menus. And this is a town council of randers in central Denmark has now responded strongly, voting to make the meat mandatory for the purposes of upholding Danish culture. So the government the, on the national level bans it. Government on a local level makes it mandatory. So they're clearly having a battle there. I don't think the government should either be banning or making mandatory. I think you should just leave it. And, of course, maybe the worst part of this entire story is that these public institutions are 1,719 daycare institutions, which means that the daycare is in the control of the government in Denmark, which is probably the worst aspect of this entire story, regardless of what you think about pork or not. Uh, but again, it, it is it is good to see this battle going on, a resistance to the bans on pork. Yeah. Propaganda, says Rob Aviera there in the chat room. Uh, but no, it, it you know it's, it's it's definitely a cool development. So again, if you want to call and talk about any of the stories, the number which to do so is seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven, and then go ahead and hit the one button. But yeah, I do I take it overall as a good news story. The worst part of it though is the idea that they do they have the public daycares, and that's what Obama wants here, right? What did he say in that last State of the Union address that? One of the things that he's going to try to push for, as long as he's president, which if some people in the chat room are right, we're going to get a third term of Obama via Biden. Imagine nationalized daycare, so-called given free to everybody, which means your, you know, your pre-K kids would start being indoctrinated early, early, early. It would be horrible. I guarantee that the... Danish preschool is probably much better than what we would end up with here with all of our, you know, variantly progressive education. Here's another piece of good news. Uh, Michael Douglas is going to advocate for Israel on a U.S. campus tour. Arat Shiva reports that the acclaimed actor Michael Douglas and Jewish agency chairman Nathan 
Sharansky will appear on three college campuses in the U.S. to speak to students about Israel and anti-Semitism. The program is called, quote, Jewish Journeys, a conversation with Michael Douglas and Nathan Sharansky, co-hosted by the Genesis Prize Foundation, Hillel International, and the Jewish Agency for Israel. They're going to visit Brown University in Rhode Island, January 28th, Stanford University on February 2nd, University of California at Santa Barbara on February 3rd. So if you're able to go to these events and go out there and show support for this, this is great to have somebody who is well-respected in Hollywood. Um, Give me one second. Go out and actually speak on behalf of the truth and the good in Israel. I think that's wonderful. Um, Now, a quote from the Genesis Prize Foundation co-founder, Stan Polovets, he says, quote, this is the first time in this current period of heightened anti-Israel activity on campus that a Hollywood celebrity has offered to join with a world Jewish leader to visit U.S. college campuses and speak with students about Israel and the Jewish people. And he's uh, continuing, at a time when the academic community and other forces are making sustained efforts to delegitimize Israel, these visits are particularly important and timely. So again, if you are anywhere near Brown University in Rhode Island, Stanford University, or University of California, Santa Barbara, go check out this link and try to uh, show support for these. Someone said there that they have lost sound. Is that right? Okay, I do have positive change in the chat room. says that I'm on Skype. I'm calling in. I can go ahead and uh, give, given the comments that positive change is making here in the chat room, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be in for as I'm answering this call, but we're going to go ahead and give it a try. Positive change. Uh, first-time caller, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, Amy. A positive change, do you have a, another name that I can call you by? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess you could just call me Andrew. Andrew, okay, so welcome, Andrew. Uh, what can I do for you? Uh, interesting show. Uh, um, you know, it's uh, good that we have media that is uh, out there and uh, freedom of speech and all that. Uh, you know, you just said, well, if anybody wants to call in and chat, then you, you know, then we can, so I did. And I think that... Um, yeah, uh the state of the state of uh, the world is, is very concerning obviously. Uh everybody's kind of influenced by our own microcosm inside the macrocosm and therefore uh we've all got a lot of different Okay, wait, views, wait. When you so, when you when you start bringing in microcosm versus macrocosm, I I lose you. Is there a particular story that I've been talking about that you wanted to comment on? Well, uh, you know, I mean, you you mentioned this thing about Iran, and and you mentioned a few things I came yeah, so, near the so end of the what show. Do you, what do you what do you think, for example, about us waiving the requirement to have visas from people who travel to Iran and come here? Um, I think that uh, based on the construct of uh, the two different ideologies, which have been built up over the last thousand years. Uh, well, about 1,500 for the sort of different is, is, uh, Islamic sects and then about sort of really getting into full swing from around 1066, and that should be a clue on the Christian side. Um, you know, it is quite a perfect storm for certain people. 
uh, that wish to be able to control things. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, so, it's all so, part of a construct. So, I think. No, no, wait. So if, if I'm getting your drift from what you just said, you're saying that we should have fewer restrictions on entry for people, right? And so that maybe this is a good thing? Um, not at all. I'm, I'm actually pointing out uh, that uh, it's all part of a construct. So it depends on how you look at it and, you know, whether you're looking at it from a perspective of, um, you know, somebody in Iran might think that it's a good thing if they're a businessman or a woman, for that matter, um, because they can get into the United States to do business easier. Someone in the United States that has been, you know, has got a worldview that, uh, you know, people are going to be able to cause trouble. It could very well be that that happens if uh, certain people get in on those visas. Which, now, which, you know, has, have there, has there or has there not already been attacks on American soil from... I think the biggest attack that you guys have experienced in the last few hundred, uh, well, not even a few hundred years, in the last few decades was what Andrew Jackson did. Uh, Andrew Jackson managed to defeat, which was, he said, I killed the bank. And until you guys do that again, you know, you're always going to have manipulation happening. In your, uh, in your in your in the United States. So actually, you would say that the threat from Islamic terrorism is dwarfed by the threat from some well, sort of. If you look at it statistically, you're more likely to get, to get hit by a car than attacked by a terrorist. So, like, okay. if you did a show, if you did like a radio show about, um, you know, the threat of getting hit by an automobile, it would be as important for people's lives as it was to do a show about the threat of terrorism because more people die from automobile accidents and terrorism in the United States every year. Okay. And you can go okay. into the medical industry as well. Okay. Yeah, I do I do often have little medical stories and, and things like that as well. As a matter of fact, I do have a bunch of stories that I do want to get to, and I'm going to go ahead and go over to the list of program notes at the blog at don'tletitgo.com and continue working on those. But I did, I got a, you know, thank you for calling. Uh, positive change. I got a bit of a flavor of of the kind of th- you know things that you're interested in. I do. First of all, car accidents are just that accidents. So yes, there is some risk of that. But Islamic terrorism is something that's done deliberately based on an ideology and therefore can be fought. Uh, now we can make our cars safer and we can do things to kind of improve. You know, make kind of reduce our risk of being harmed in a car accident. These are things, yes, we can be interested in. But when there is a group of people based on an ideology deliberately going out to hurt people and there's a significant number of them enough that they pose a threat, to me that's more news than the car accident thing. Um, yeah, positive change the so-called American foreign policy actually is a threat. Uh, you know, To some extent, you and I would agree then if we were continuing that Exchange just because I agree that the neocon policy of going out there and deciding that you're going to spread democracy everywhere and that you have to occupy and do all these things versus just eliminate threats, I agree. But I, I think that we need to screen anybody who's coming from these countries and traveling through these countries in the Middle East. We need to screen them before they come to the United States because right now there is a war, undeclared on our side, declared on theirs between Islamic terrorists and our whole way of life uh, and, and our and our country. So that does need to happen. I'm all for honest business people coming here, but we need to have screening. And this idea that we're going to lift the visa requirement for Iran in particular, 
You know, again, New York Times reported just a couple months ago that even though we have this deal with them, that the anti-American hostility in Iran is alive and well to the extent that a Kentucky Fried Chicken that tried to open in Iran had to shut down within days because of the hostility. So, um, you know, this idea that just normal Iranians bring them all in, they're not hostile to us and stuff, I, I don't buy it. We need to have better, more screening, not less screening. And Obama's just showing, you know, and the other story, I should have put this in here. Um, there's a top explosives expert of Al-Qaeda that was just released out of Guantanamo. Obama just lets him go. It's like, oh, well, maybe he'll get involved in terrorism again, but we think it's unlikely because he cooperated with us, and so therefore we let him go. Um, ridiculous. And dereliction of duty, because he's supposed, you know, Obama's supposed to be protecting us as job one. He even says that in his speeches now, and then he acts entirely contrary to it. More good news. Another actor, actress, Charlotte Rampling. You may have heard this week that there are a number of people who have called on uh, having everyone boycott the Oscars. Boycott the Oscars because they are too white this year. Oscar nominee Charlotte Rampling has called the ongoing row about the lack of diversity at this year's Academy Awards, quote, racist against white people. Bravo, that is exactly what it is. Thanks to Rob Abiera for this story, by the way. Uh, when asked by France's Europe One if she understood some black stars' decisions to boycott the event, Rampling said, no, I think it's the other way around. She says, we can never know, but maybe it's because no black actors merited being nominated, she said. Rampling has been shortlisted for Best Actress for her role in 45 years. Um, quizzed over Spike Lee's suggestion that quotas might need to be introduced for black, Asian, and minority ethnic actors after all 20 Oscar acting nominees were white for the second consecutive year, Rampling was dismissive, quote, Why put people into categories? We live in a country now where everyone is more or less accepted. Problems will always be sought. You say him, he's less attractive, him, he's too black, him, he's too white. Uh, there will always be someone who comes out saying, you are too something. So basically, are we saying we're going to put everyone and everything into one class or another to create lots of minority groups everywhere? They say her comments follow a slew of actors who have backed Lee's announcement that he could not support the, quote, Lily White Award show and were widely disparaged on social media. It's going to be very interesting as we come up to the week. I almost feel like, even though I don't necessarily always watch the Oscars, that I should turn them on, on my television, even if I'm not watching them, just to add to the ratings. So, Ed in the chat room on my previous story about my comment on dereliction of duty says it can only be dereliction of duty if Obama is actually working for the good of the United States. Yeah, that's quite an assumption these days. And again, the prospect of a third... Obama term via Biden is, is sounding very, very, very scary. Um, Ed, what do you think, by the way? Do you think that they're going to finally destroy Hillary's candidacy? That's that's what I would like to know. A couple of economic stories, just to kind of let you know. Um, everyone's been talking about the cheap oil prices 
And New York Times is reporting this time the cheaper oil is doing little for the U.S. economy. I know that I in California will not be allowed to experience the awesome cheap oil prices. I even heard of sub $1 per gallon prices for gas, which I don't think I've ever seen in my life that this is happening in Michigan. It will never happen in California because California succeeded in passing a so-called variable gas tax so that when oil prices, they just raise the amount of taxes so that what you see at the pump is relatively the same. They'll let you benefit a little bit from the lower price. You know, it'll make you feel good. But we are the frogs in the pot of water that's slowly being brought to a boil here in California. That's who we are. And one of the things that they're doing to us is they're not letting us experience the full variation in price. You know, it's not like they say, okay, a quarter per gallon, which I remember I think it was at a certain point, or 50 cents per gallon or whatever it is. It is variable based on the whim of some bureaucrat in California. We will never allow uh, be able to experience it. And a lot of people are very worried about these low prices and when you know particularly when Iran comes online and starts flooding the market with with their oil that it can do a lot of harm uh, we should not you know be lifting these sanctions on Iran either uh other economic story how bad are the job cuts Stuart Hayashi shared this via Twitter so thanks to Stuart Johnson & Johnson has announced 3,000 job cuts on Tuesday. Macy's announced the same number of cuts. I remember seeing the Walmart story last week. This is all just days after Obama is saying that we've recovered, it's been a great recovery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how bad are they? Apparently Bloomberg tries to paper over it and say that it's really not that bad, that, you know, Basically, 2008 or 2009 maybe was worse or something, but these are ominous. The idea that Obama can go up there and declare that somehow we have had an economic recovery and that the United States economy is strong and anybody who says otherwise is delusional, that's about what he said. He's the delusional one. So I do have a call I'm going to go ahead and pick up. I think this is Ed, if I got the area code right. Is this Ed? Hey, it is. Hey, so what... What do you what do you think is? You don't is have much time. Okay, go ahead. You or I don't have financial community. I think you're cutting in and out. I'm not hearing you. I agree with them based on what I've heard. So that's that. On Hillary, uh, <clears throat> you know, I work for the government. If I did what Hillary did, I'd be in jail. So the question is. Would, uh, you know, are they actually going to prosecute Hillary? And uh, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, it it looks really bad, I know, but I, I can't imagine them prosecuting uh, or indicting Hillary for this. I just can't imagine them doing it. I know Obama doesn't really like Hillary, um, but... Uh, when Biden dropped out, I think the chance of Hillary getting indicted went to zero because uh, he definitely doesn't want to um, lose to the Republicans, which Bernie so Sanders you, would definitely you don't, do. You don't subscribe to this Biden could come in on a white horse and save everything story? I mean, that's a possibility. Everything's a possibility. Um, right. But I don't, I don't tend to think so. Um, 
The other thing I uh, – you're going to hate me for this one, but I am okay. absolutely positively not supporting Trump. Let me put that out right at the beginning. Not supporting him. But okay. I I don't think he's Satan. <laughs> I, 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 on Facebook especially, people are like, this guy is absolutely the worst person. And I, I, I do not think he's Satan. I've read a lot about him. I think he is not my candidate. I disagree with a number of his positions. I am not in favor of him for the Republican nomination, but he is not Satan. And uh, I think that uh, he would be a marginally better president than Hillary. And uh, okay. I think that's, that's, uh, that's not a high bar. But it is right, but, but, but then, but if you, we're going to but if you, if, if you say, pass. okay, he would, if you say he would be marginally better than Hillary, but that he would be doing things in the name of potentially people would even misinterpret and say what he's doing is capitalism, that could be a disaster, yes? Um, yeah, well, any Republican faces that, right? Because any Republican, no matter what right. happens, uh, I mean, George Bush was the least advocate of capitalism in the entire world and sure and, and we uh, but, but we really the, we really want to avoid this we really want to avoid that happening and the kind of damage that could be done yeah yeah i i think unfortunately you know i'm not very good at predictions all my predictions uh, turn out false but um so maybe this is good but i'm 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 really worried uh about trump getting the nomination i think i think it the, the actual chances of him getting the nomination are uh, very high, and okay. uh, I don't want—I don't want him to be the nominee by any stretch of the imagination. I'd much prefer Cruz, but or Rubio, but uh, but I think that um, it's going to be tough. But okay. uh, he's not as bad as Hillary by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't think it's—I uh, don't think he's the devil. Okay, um, but. Well, so thanks for so those are those are the predictions. The predictions are you don't think that they're going to get rid of Hillary and have Biden come in on a white horse. So we'll see what happens with that. And you think there's a really good chance that uh, Trump's going to get the nomination. So definitely. Stay and just tuned to be clear, all of my previous predictions have turned out false. So I have okay. a tremendous. I'm like Dick Morris. I have a tremendous track record on these things. There's there's no consequences other than I want you to call back into the show and we'll discuss whether these predictions come true at the appropriate time. That's all. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Right. You take you take care and thanks for calling uh, and and I hope you're doing okay back there with the storm. Yeah, we got about three inches on the ground, but it's not a blizzard. A blizzard requires high winds, but it's snowing pretty hard. Okay. Well. Good luck. We'll see. And, 30, 30 inches is the biggest thing. The biggest thing I hear is be careful if you're trying to shovel yourself out because people end up not doing well sometimes if they're shoveling too much snow. Okay? Oh, good so Lord. Take, I pay people to do that. Yay. Good. <laughs> take care of yourself, Ed. <laughs> All right. And, see ya. Uh, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and try to uh, at least highlight 
some of the stories that I've got left over at DontLetItGo.com. I thank all of the people for calling in. It is not by any means a distraction, but I gave myself a real huge list of stories over here, and I just want to highlight a little. Um, There is a former Pearson textbook executive who has revealed an anti-American agenda in Common Core. This is one of those undercover videos where they actually record this woman talking about the anti-American components in Common Core textbooks, I believe for AP history. Uh, So check that out. There's another story about a baby who contracted a rare case of scurvy after drinking only almond milk. So the parents of this baby decided they think they were being healthy. They gave their baby only almond milk. Who knows what other horrible health effects that would have on the baby, but also a case of scurvy. Thanks to Rob Wolf for that story. Go check it out if you're interested. Again, don'tletitgo.com. That's where you find all these. New York Times had an interesting story on the eight-second attention span. Thank you for listening to this show for an hour and a half. Obviously, you have more than an eight-second attention span. But the author's thesis was very interesting. He says, yeah, I have an eight-second attention span. I'm also attached to my phone, to my device. But, he says, that does not prevent him from getting immersed in, for example, a novel and reading for quite a long time. So in certain contexts, he goes around and he's always attached to his phone. But in other contexts, he's able to do that. Uh, Another story, one from Michael Brown, Cardiff University scientists have discovered asthma's root cause, and if they're right about it, current drugs that we already have can prevent and treat asthma. So go check that out. And then finally, free market in medicine. I'm not sure if Rob Aviera sent me this story or not. I think it's about Oklahoma, though. It's an Oklahoma hospital that tells you what you will have to pay before the surgery, the whole price published online and it tells you about the success that they have achieved. So go check that out again. Conversation at don'tletitgo.com can continue. Also follow me, Facebook. I've got a personal page and a Don't Let It Go Unheard page and also Amy Peakoff on Twitter. Thanks to all of you for listening, sharing with your friends, and thanks to you who are show supporters. I doubly, doubly appreciate that. So everyone have a good weekend. Take care and I'll talk to you a week from today.